Welcome to the Like a Dance Boss podcast. My name's Jess, and each episode I'll be interviewing a dance studio owner from around Australia. Tune in to find out their tips and tricks, the secrets to their success, and how they cope with the daily stresses of running a dance studio. In the first episode, I'll be interviewing Vanessa from Dance Machine Studio in Melbourne. Hi, Vanessa. Thanks for having a chat today. Could we start with you telling me about your studio? So what's your studio name? Whereabouts is it located? Yep. Great. Okay. So my studio is Dance Machine. Um, we're located in Bandura in the Unihill complex area, um, which is in Victoria. Um, and yeah, we've been operating for, this is our 14th year. Great. So who are you when you're not the director of Dance Machine? Do you have other interests and hobbies? We know that you're a mom of gorgeous little Ivy. Tell us about who you are. If you had asked me that five years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, so I got married five years ago. And then, like you said, I've got a three and a half year old Ivy. Um, so life outside of the studio is somewhat different these days. Um, but it's great. It's definitely taught me like work life balance. Um, and yeah, I just enjoy spending time with Ivy and um, enjoying family time and getting to see the world um, through a three year old's eyes is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, definitely teaches you the value of life. Yeah. Um, cool. So, when and how did you start Dance Machine? Did you start it from scratch? What year did you start it in? Um, yeah, I started it crazy, but I started it when I was, I think just turning 19 or 20, yeah, just turning 20. So That's the same age as me. And yes, I agree. Crazy. <laughs> I know. I can't believe that we did that, but, um, I got a bit sick of just auditioning for gig after gig and I was doing a bit of corporate work, um, or corporate gig work, but yeah. I really wanted to try and get into more like the international contracts, but. I kept sort of getting to the end and then, you know, I was like an inch too tall or too short or didn't have the right hair colour and I just sort of um, felt like it was hard living um, without with little money and training and using all my money training and then going to these auditions. So I thought I would um, start some like really basic casual classes to get a little bit more money so that I could um, keep training and auditioning. Yeah. But I guess once I started the school, I didn't realise it would take off the way it did. So um, then I sort of stopped auditioning and um, just went full steam ahead with the business. So were you using halls or like hiring school gyms or? Yeah, so I um, hired a primary school gym, which was probably a really good way to start because um, I guess advertising at that primary school, I got so many kids in that first year that had never danced before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it was a really good way of um, starting a a dance studio um, without any overheads. Like all I had to get was you know a decent stereo, and um, I paid for some um, advertising in the local primary school, and that was about it. So I feel like back then the school newsletter and the local paper—that's how you. It advertise. went a long way. It went a long way. Not anymore, but yeah. <laughs> And was your goal back then to start a studio like you have now or was it purely just recreational then? Yeah, it was um, definitely more recreational. Like I said, I just sort of thought I'd start up 
three, four classes. Um, and that was really the aim was just sort of, you know, see how it goes, but I didn't expect it to take off the way it did. So I was just sort of thinking this was a bit of pocket money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the aim sort of changed quite quickly once it went into the first year and, you know, I sort of got 50, 60 kids off the bat. Um, yeah. All from I, the school or mostly from that primary school that you were at? Yeah, it was, a, I would say majority was from the primary school and then maybe, you know, a couple of, um, oh, then I had like a lot of friends um, in the senior class that, they just wanted to keep training with me. So, you know, maybe had 15 or so friends that yeah. sort of joined. Yeah. So then the aim sort of turned and I, you know, sort of aimed to get 100 students and, um, yeah, that's sort of how it came about. Yeah. And was that the same area as where you moved into next, which was Epi? Like what area did you start yeah. in and why did you pick it? I started in Mill Park. Um and I didn't really want to go to Epping because there was already a lot of established schools in Epping. So um, I was trying hard not to go there, but unfortunately um, I did, well, not unfortunately, but I ended up going that way because there's so much um, industrial area in Epping. So a lot of factories that are reasonably priced. So in the end, I sort of did move that way. And then uh, I think it was seven years later, I ended up moving to Bandura. So sort of back to where Mill Park and Bandura are sort of next door to each other. So I ended up back where yeah. it sort of started. Yeah. So how many years did you operate out of the school gym for? I think it was about five years. Uh, I ended up um, then actually adding in two other community centres, so one in South Morang and another in Mill Park. So I was running out of three venues. Yeah. It got really complicated in the end and I was like, I just felt like I needed something. Um, and my only options were sort of in, in the Epping area. So um, I went there, which was still great. And I still, um, yeah, I still sort of increased my numbers quite well. Um, but I, I definitely was more worried heading into Epping knowing there was, you know, a lot more established schools in that area. So it was a bit of a risk, but, um, you know, fortunately for me, it paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how many students you had when you made the move to your factory? Like, was your goal to get a certain amount of students and then you would move into a factory or was it purely saving up finances? Yeah, I think um, it was just more that I was running out of the three centres and it was just really hard for families that had, like, multiple kids that, you know, ended up having to sort of be in two places at once. So it just got challenging for everyone. And so I yeah. felt like you know, it was just best to move. I can't actually remember how many kids I had, but it was decent enough that, you know, when I looked at the rent, I was like, this is doable. Yeah, it probably was similar to the amount of higher fees that you were paying. Yeah, in the end, I think it was sort of um, beneficial if I added solos and all that sort of work that I ended up just getting a space of my own. Yeah. And what was that process like moving into a new venue or setting up your factory i know council permits can be a pain yeah parking can be an issue when you've got tradies nearby that don't yeah. really want dance parents everywhere <laughs> i have a i had a mechanic down the road or like two in the street um so we were pretty much fighting for car parks daily which is not fun um but yeah council council permits are just my god the worst thing ever um and so much stress involved in that. But it eventually came through, I think, three or four months later, which 
isn't too bad compared to a, a lot of other dance studio owners I know that have taken ages. Yeah, it took me six months. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sort of like in the end, I ended up walking into the council and put on a really sad face and said, "I need this permit, otherwise I'm going to lose um, the lease." And yeah, I think felt pity for me and ended up giving it to me. But yeah, it was a bit of a process. And then the whole, you know, spending money on like a this you know factory that wasn't mine was like another sort of risk. But um, like I said, it and I ended up doing well out of it. And then what made you move to your new studio premises where you are now? I just felt I was growing out of the Epping studio. I had um, two studios to begin with and then we converted like the costume area into a small third studio. Um, Yeah, and there just wasn't a lot of space and the studio sizes sort of annoyed me a bit and I just felt like I'd really outgrown it and I wanted to also head back to the area where I first began as well. Um, yeah. so yeah, the, that sort of place came up and again, it was another huge risk <laughs> and a lot of money involved setting it up. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. It I pays thought off. it was going well until COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your new premises is amazing. Like what, who, who were involved to make that happen? Did you design the layout yourself? Yeah, I designed it myself. Um, I went to a basketball court and did the old chalk and, yeah, spaced it out and, um, yeah, sort of designed it myself and then we ended up getting a builder to come in and do all the work, um, which took a long time. Um, It actually took more time getting a build. I think we had to get, um, we had to get a permit for the build and all that sort of thing. So we just had massive delays in um, getting the, you know the certificates and that sort of thing that we needed to open up um so it was a headache and a lot of sort of um money lost and yeah a lot of a lot of time but anyway we got there in the end um and I love the venue it's a great location um you know it's located where there's like DFO shops I think it's actually called Uni Hill Outlet but it's like a DFO sort of complex um, with a lot of cafes around and Coles and the bank and all that. So it's really handy for parents and just a really nice sort of area to um, to be in. And has that reached your goals of what you had in mind when you wanted to move to the new premises? Like ha- have you achieved what you wanted as far as the space and using the space? Yeah. Um, so we went from like three studios to four. So um i've been able to put on more sort of classes um but it's also been yeah they would be bigger spaces than the old yeah they're they're good the old studio was sort of um really long but um didn't have a lot of um what do you call it depth i guess to it so um this is these studios are square um so i enjoy the space a lot better um but yeah, it's still growing. There's a lot like I could I could grow it a lot more if I wanted to, but I think now having um being a mum and that I don't wanna necessarily grow it too much. I'm pretty happy actually with where it's at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess you know, in the future I, maybe I will wanna grow it. But again, now that COVID's happened, it's a whole different ball game. So Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. 
So do you think that you need to outgrow your current venue before moving on? Or do you think that getting a bigger venue with more studio space will allow you to naturally grow and fill it? Because I know mm. it is a big risk to go, well, we're comfortable in our space. Yeah. Do we need to well, put enrollments up to move or, yeah, will, will that happen naturally? Um, I think I'd take the more conservative approach and not move out and get a bigger venue until I needed it. Yeah. Um, yeah you know there's a lot of dance schools around in victoria as well so um you know we all have (laughs) exactly right so yeah no i would definitely wait until i'd outgrown a space before you know entering into a new contract or a bigger premises yeah for sure so how many students and staff do you generally have like yeah pre-covid yes we have about over 300 students and about I don't know, 12, 12 or so staff members. Yeah. Yeah. And then how much do you work within the business? Like are there set teaching hours that you have and admin hours or are you at yeah. home? Or? Yeah, so I teach um, two nights a week and a half day Saturday. So generally, you know, each day is probably about three to four hours of teaching. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I probably do a couple of hours of admin three to four days a week as well. Yeah. Is that at home or like doing research? Yeah. No, generally at home, generally at home. And then if I'm teaching, I'll head to the studio um, before I start. Um, So if you talk me through your staff, you have teachers, you have receptionists. Yeah. I I have um, teachers and then I have a receptionist slash manager, I guess, who she um, is there the five days that we operate um, and she's on reception, but then she also does a lot of the background work, um, sort of manages the studio as well. So would that be your tip to others with studios with about 300 students? Do you think that it, it's a benefit to have someone else manage it, especially being a mum because it yeah. allows you not to be in there all the time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you become a mum, you have to sort of, weigh up um what's important and also how many hours you can put into something and and how well you can do it and I just knew that you know um I wanted to be really present for Ivy as well so um I had to make a change and so I didn't just do it um as soon as I had Ivy I sort of gradually did it because I knew that I wanted to have a family so um I think you know sort of like the three four years going into starting to um have a family I sort of just tailed off with work so maybe did one less day so instead of teaching five days a week I went to four then I went to three and then I hired someone to do some reception work and then um yeah got to the manager that I did today so I slowly did it so that I didn't feel as if it was like a huge drastic change and it went from me being the face of the studio or being around 24 7 to like not being there much at all it was a gradual thing and then I felt like you know, with parents and students, it wasn't um, as much of an issue stepping back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a smart way to do it because it's quite risky to be so heavily involved and then all of a sudden disappear. Yes, for sure. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely took what you did when I had Eve and tried to prepare in advance to... Yeah, for sure. This can be functioning day to day without me being there before I really needed to step away. Yeah, that's right. 
So as well as your teachers and your studio manager and yourself, do you outsource any other services? Like do you pay for an external bookkeeper or accountant, graphic designer, business coach? Yeah, um, definitely there's things that I outsource. Um, I'm a big believer in do what you do well (laughs) and what you don't. Just, yeah, if you can afford to outsource, then do it. Obviously, I can't outsource everything. Like, um, I feel like I'm pretty good at graphic design, so I do a lot of that stuff myself. But, you know, um, when it comes to, like, bookkeeping and accounting, like, ugh. I can't stand that stuff so that's the first thing I'd, I'd pay money on and yeah. fortunately my husband's an accountant so um but you know now the business has sort of gotten to a stage where he's like um passed it on to an, another accountant anyway yeah so yeah um definitely there's things that I outsource and then the one the things that I know I do well I try and do it myself to save some money yeah and have you ever looked into a business coach or anything like that um, I sort of thought about it. I've never really gotten around to it. I feel like you're my business coach in a way. <laughs> I come to you with my issues and, <laughs> and I coach you through them, I guess. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes, and what, in your opinion, is the biggest day-to-day challenge of running a studio, do you think? Um... I think staff can be a huge thing. Like I know a lot of my staff are professional dancers, you know, they get a, they do a lot of gig work. So managing them when they um, get a contract or just have, you know, a gig on a Saturday or rehearsals during the week, um, it can be difficult and challenging to sort of, um, you know, always be that person that they contact and then have to try and find a cover within a couple of hours or, you know, a day. Um, so that can get taxing. I feel like with 12 or 13, however many staff members I have, and you know, you would be the same. Um, yeah, it just sort of gets tiring after a while. And you're always sort of like checking your phone to make sure that you haven't got a missed call of, you know, yeah. a staff member. And yeah, yeah so it's sort of like to switch off. Yeah. So I think that's pretty challenging. So with your staff, do they need to find a cover if they're going to be at a rehearsal or be at a gig or is that on you or do you have a filling teacher that you always use? Yeah, so we um, have like a spreadsheet where we've got um, times where our current DM teachers are free. So if they're not teaching, you know, they might put their days down where they can do an additional a day or a few hours here and there if someone's yeah. sick. So usually DM teachers are the first point of call. Um, but then if it's like with our sort of elite students, um, I don't mind getting, you know, someone outside. So it yeah. sort of becomes like a workshop class for them. And how hard or easy is it for you to jump in and teach at the last minute? I'm assuming not very easy. With I pretty much don't do that anymore. Like I think um, I'm the last resort because yeah. I'm really strict on like if my day off from teaching is, you know, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, then I'd really don't. Um, want to be like taking on that and I think it's easy once you start doing that then you know they message you to see if you can cover so I think um, I just try and be really strict on my days and if it's worst case scenario and there's absolutely no one then yes I will obviously take it but um, yeah I try to be the last point of call <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah I think, like if you're available your teachers you know they don't 
mean to take advantage but if they know that you're available then it's an yeah. easier option yeah, to yeah. not come in or yeah an offer to do something else exactly right and there's only so much hours you can teach in a week as well as yeah. a business like i feel like if you teach five days then something's got to give and it's either your family or running the business so yeah, yeah for sure yeah so i just try and stick to my days and yeah try and find covers for the rest and then over the lifetime of Dance Machine, what have been some of the significant hurdles? If you think back, was it moving into your factory and, and that stress or has there been other? Yeah, probably two significant, well, actually three now, but um, the first significant <laughs> one was where... <laughs> um, well, exactly, when I had Ivy. So when I was pregnant, I thought, life would be pretty easy and I would have nine months to just adjust to new life and um, get everybody, all my staff and everybody on board. And unfortunately I was one of those unlucky um, pregnant women yeah. <laughs> who suffered from um, severe morning sickness for nine months. So it didn't go to plan and it was just overnight. Suddenly um, I was so sick that I don't think I came to the studio for six weeks. I think it was from about week four to the end of term two that I didn't go into the studio once, which was so unusual and lots and lots of worried staff and students and parents because, you know, I was there, um, well, for all the elite students that I, that I was teaching at the time, I was, I, you know, I never missed a class. I was always around. So, um, yeah, and I couldn't tell anybody, obviously, as well, because I wanted to make sure everything was right before I told the news. So um, that was really challenging because I just had to rely on other people and we're so used to just being that person that yeah, just doing it. <laughs> can take control and um, put out any little fires. But I literally just had to rely on my staff and, and yeah. my manager receptionist to do all that work. And thankfully, like, I you know, had some great staff members are also some really good friends of mine um so they just sort of said don't worry we've got it and they did an amazing job yeah. but it definitely just forced me to think about okay like you know this is a completely new change in your life and as much as you're slowly going down in terms of days and hours um yeah like it's just completely it is a completely new experience and I I feel like I wasn't quite prepared for it um, and it just, you know, slapped me in the face. But I think um, coming out of that experience, the best thing I can say is if you've got a good, strong team around you, that you can get through it. So valuable staff is probably a number one asset. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. You, have, you must have had the business set up pretty well if you could suddenly disappear for six weeks and it just kept going. So Yeah, yeah, I did. I guess a lot of staff, like, sort of, um, took on my hours and they just made it work which was amazing but it, it yeah you definitely have to have good staff good people around you and did you say there was other oh the other one was um opening up the studio in uni hill um yeah, yeah just with the I guess the council and all the permits and everything and the bill took so much longer and you know the money involved and it was just a very very stressful time so um yeah, that was a challenge. And now I guess the, the last challenge that we're all facing is, is COVID. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> we will get on to. Yes. So, well, let's get into that now. What, what do you think is happening with dance studios in Melbourne? Are you hoping that we can open for term four or? Yeah, I hope so. Um, doubtful that we will be in term three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm hoping we can get some classes up and running for term four and that this, this sort of can um, contain this virus. And, yeah, it's just it's been weird. Like we haven't been, I don't know about you, but we pretty much haven't been back. Uh, I think we closed up middle to end of March. Yeah, we're the same. Yeah, haven't had students. We only had students for one or two classes. Um right at the end of term two when we were allowed again. Um, so, yeah, it's been a huge change and a huge challenge, I think, for all of us. And what are you doing during the closure time? You're doing Zoom online classes? or Yeah, so initially we did, in term two, we did, like, um, pre-recorded um, and then we found that that was a lot of extra work. So... Yeah. Um, I actually teamed up with two other studio owners, um, Sarah from MAPA and Britt from DNA, and we're doing a Studios United program where we just have, um, it's a six-week course where it's online with Zoom and just a whole heap of guest teachers to style. So um, that's where it's really to combine forces. Yeah, it's been really great. I think we're all feeling it and really down and um Sarah called me that the night of the second lockdown and said, Hey, how, how do you feel about this? And I just thought, you know what, like, let's go for it. Um, and it's just been good to have the support of the girls and yep. feel like you're not, you know, doing it alone. And nice for the students to see other dancers too, I guess, because I'm assuming the three schools yeah. are mushed together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's been fun for them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's been a really successful thing and I guess that's what's um, been a positive to come out of COVID is, you know, just reinventing yourself, reinventing your business and yeah, maybe taking the time out as well to oversee the business and think about ways you can improve it for when we come back. And um, yes, because we all know that when we come back, we're not sure how many students will all have left and yeah and do you think that will be the biggest challenge in reopening is we're just not sure of the enrollments and it, they're obviously going to be much less yeah. especially in term four I mean I think we'll have the parents that will still be afraid of, of coming out um yeah. which is understandable and then we'll have parents that will say well it's term four there's only 10 weeks left yeah. Let's just come back yeah. next year so um yeah and you know without a concert or anything to sort of keep them interested I think it's going to be even harder so um it's definitely going to be a challenge but I'm just hoping that you know there will be so many students that will be excited and parents that will just be dying for their kid to get out and do some exercise and yeah. you know go back to normality so I think we'll find we'll have a mix but we definitely won't won't be back to where we were and I think that'll take a couple of years or so probably to build up. And I think like a lot of studio owners, we've reflected during this time off and when we reopen, our goals might be different anyway. Like you might not even be trying to get back to where you were because you've now got a new avenue yeah. to kind of go down. So I guess that's exciting to think that we've got a chance to almost reinvent again as a studio. 
Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's a good time to, if you've got the time right now to invest on, you know, um, how you can better your programs or your classes, anything that you can do to change it up, to keep evolving, you know, this is a time to do it. And big question, have you missed dance comps this year or? <laughs> Probably um, okay one of them slide by. I'm definitely okay. I'm definitely okay with not attending dance comps. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, in a way, you know, I do love it, but yeah, it's been nice definitely to, to spend some, well, to spend every weekend with my family since March. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I know we've chatted a few times about dance comps changing in the last few years anyway, like back in the day, if we can say back in the day, yeah, they felt more like relaxed and I feel like we were we were side stage having a chat and getting to know each other and yeah yeah everyone seemed to be on the same page where yeah now dance comps are, are really different I guess there's so many comps and yeah what yeah, is different vibe. different vibe to um competitions these days yeah for sure um but I think that's just um partly because of the way dance has evolved in maybe the past, I don't know, would you say five years or so, even a bit longer, I guess? Um, yeah, like I wonder if it was from Dance Mums initially, like that was the first big change yeah. maybe. Yeah. Just the style and... Yeah, it's boomed. I feel like, you know, 10 years ago um, there was half the amount of dance comps available and yeah. now there's pretty much one on every single weekend. So, oh, that's an understatement. Like seven. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> multiple, and there's clashes all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And going forward, you'll keep going with competitions. Are there other performances and events that you enjoy your students doing, like fundraisers or like the yeah. choreography shows? Or. Um. Yeah, I do like competitions. However, I would like to see, you know, um. I don't know. I think it's dance has evolved in a way that I'm not as comfortable with, um, which sounds weird, but, um, you know, I still feel young and I still feel, you know, um, up with the latest, but at the same time, I don't necessarily agree with, um, you know, the sort of dance practice that is happening at, you know, some studios or at home, even at home training. I think students are seeing, um, you know, watching Instagram stars put legs behind their head and scorpions and, you know, kick turns and all that sort of thing. So I think um, we're seeing a lot more of that at competitions and I'm sort of seeing less of the technique and less of what I love. And while I do think we all need to evolve, um, I think we also need to be careful and we all need, all need to um, make sure our students are safe. And I think that we all feel pressure at the same time. Like I think initially when I was seeing a lot more tricks put into routines. I myself started to do it yeah. and thought, you know, I've got to keep up. But then I started to sort of, um, I think I just sort of came to realisation that that's not me and that I take choreography and creativity over um, tricks and and definitely in terms of safe dance practice that I want to be a school where, um, you know, I'm always up with the latest in terms of avoiding injuries and, doing what's right and best for my students, as I know you are the same with yours. Um, so, yeah, comps are, comps are challenging. I mean, you get a bit of both now these days. And also, you know, it's hard when judges are um, sort of 
in, almost encouraging this new sort of dance craze. Um, you know, let's sometimes um, it's yeah, it's just a challenge to go to comps and see that these, I guess, um, tricks are sort of winning at times. Um, yeah. So I think that's where I get frustrated and sometimes I have like this love-hate relationship with competitions because I do feel it's a great performance opportunity for my students. But, um, you know, I just always want to make sure that they're um, training right and and that they understand and believe that safe dance practice is key but also solid um, technique and training. Like at the end of the day, I want my elite students to be industry ready. So, And I'm sure you're the same. Um, that's my stance on it and hopefully you know we can all I think we're all educating ourselves that is one thing like I'm not someone to say that I I, I initially like I said was sort of felt peer pressured to do it yeah um, but I think now there's just so much more research and I did like an online oh, not online sorry I did a course with Lisa Howe yeah um, so you know like I think we're all educating ourselves and and slowly I think it will sort of well, I hope it sort of goes back to, you know, the good old days again where technique yeah. is number one. So, but yeah, in terms of such strong technique and really good foundations, do you think that's because of your teaching staff? Are you training your teaching staff to teach a certain way? Do you have yeah. a syllabus you rely on? No, I, look, we do ballet exams only, and I think that that's important and great for the students. Um, to have some solid ballet technique but um, I take a lot of the progressions classes just because I love um, I love technique so or, or I'll have somebody that's either trained with me take the class or someone that I know has you know a similar um, technique background yeah I do so yeah I'm just a huge tech I think you're the same we just love technique just going across the room, back and forth. I could do Love it. it. I could spend all day doing it. <laughs> and yeah. even too, by the sounds of it. <laughs> so changing the, the topic a little bit, um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of being a studio owner, whether it's something that you feel day to day or have there been some highlights that have made it all worthwhile? Yeah. Um, I think seeing students, you know, at concerts and performances, seeing how happy that makes them and um, also seeing the parents light up when they watch their child. And also now I've experienced that with Ivy being in the concert last year. I was like, oh, it's um, like I really understand what it's like to be a parent and to just get that overwhelming sense of joy from seeing, you know, your child on stage, whether they're yeah. you know, three or 15 and whether they're recreational or elite. Um, so I do love that side of it. But I think... Um, I feel really excited over seeing students um, move into the industry. So if they get into a full-time course or BCAS or, um, you know, get a professional gig or contract working overseas, you know, that really excites me and makes me feel proud and makes me feel like, okay, the training that I am, um, you know, producing or the programs that I've sort of nutted out are actually successful at doing that. So I think that's my biggest pride and joy yeah that would be very rewarding to to experience yeah. after you've you know put so much time and effort into planning the method of your teaching I guess and you're the same you've had some amazing students as well go on with professional work but yeah I think that's like 
you know, what we want to see, I guess, when we put like our heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into these students and to see them sort of progress to that next level is pretty amazing. Yeah. And if you could go back and give yourself advice for when you opened the studio, what do you think that advice would be? Um, you really want to open a dance studio. <laughs> exactly what I, I was thinking. Like, um, are you yeah. crazy? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, oh, I would probably ask myself, can I run a dance studio, not a business? Because at the end of the day, it's, I feel like it's, it's more than just a regular business that, you know, um, we're providing a service where you sort of um, get involved with students and build relationships and that can yeah. be a really hard thing to separate yourself from when you're running the business. So, yeah, I think I would um, really question whether um, I can deal with the, the challenges that running a dance studio face in terms of those relationships and dealing with negative feedback and complaints yeah. and especially when you've worked with students for, you know, five, 10 years, and then they may go on um, elsewhere and you sort of feel that disappointment and why am I doing this? So I think you have to have really, really thick skin. And if you don't, I think you need to get, um, you, need, you need to have a business coach or someone that can sort of, yeah, coach you through those really hard moments because yeah, like you said, I, it's not just a regular business where, you know, you make an order and you sort of post it and that's it. You're yeah. dealing humans and like interactions daily and building these relationships so I definitely feel like um yeah that's the one of the hardest bits of running um a dance studio and definitely a piece of advice would be you know can you sort of handle that day in day out yeah because you almost need to train up in that before you start the studio but there's no way you could expect all the things to come your way that do end up coming your way yeah, I think I was very naive going into it and had no idea, you know, these sorts of things that would happen along the way. And it is a, a case of learning a lot of it along the way. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you just also need to be a bit wise and have thick skin and, and sort of be able to separate yourself from those issues um, and know that it's not a personal attack. This is just what your business um, is and not everyone's going to agree to, you know, um, or think that your program is best, they might think that, you know, Jane Doe's program down the road is better and you have to learn not to take that. Risk, which I have struggled with, but I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. Like I think initially you take everything to heart, not you personally, yeah. but, you know, yeah. you, do, you, know, you do. And then when you realise that, you know, down schools are like fast food joints, you know, not everyone loves McDonald's, not everyone loves Hungry Jack's and there's enough people to go around to all of them. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to agree to disagree and respect what you're doing and respect a parent's opinion and views. And Yeah, that's right. And people go, but... Yeah, not take it as, as a personal attack, but just, you know, that, um, yeah, it's okay that, you know, some people feel that, some other program down the road and it might just be the case that some program down the road is better suited to that child. So yeah, it's just recognizing if you've spent the last seven years no, standing in the wings yeah. of a dance comp, you know, putting his kid on stage and yeah, it's very hard. Creating so, a bond with them. Yeah, for sure. And is there anything else you'd like to share? 
What else can I share with you? Well, I do love how creative you are. I'm in, I'm a bit jealous of how you have like all your concert music in files on your computer from the last 70 odd years. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so jealous of your procedures and systems and how well organized everything is. Um, But in terms of like um, concerts as well, I just like, I like to put on a production, not say just a concert and not another dance routine. Like I just like to see it, you know, when we go see musicals and stage shows, it's just, um, it's everything that sort of hypes you up. It's all this, the effects of the things in the background that are going on that um, makes it a great production. So, um, you know, I like to put intro music or outro music before routines so that there's no like awkward silences and, um, my visual effects in the background can sort of take hours and hours to do. And I've now trained um, my manager to do this, which is fabulous. So I don't have to do it anymore, but it's all um, the beats to the music and the visual effects uh, happen at the same time. So things like that, it's, I don't know, I guess I've just, in a way, <laughs> it's a lot of hard work and I wish I sort of didn't do it because literally my concert can take three months of like full-time preparation yeah I also I'm really proud of my shows and feel like it's an experience yeah Um, and it's not just a dance concert I guess so yeah so would you be willing to give away any tips or tricks as far as organizing like visual projections do you use a certain program or anything yeah I mean I use iMovie which is yeah you know, free and really, really user-friendly. So I'd recommend just jumping on that. Um, there's some websites that you can go on and you can buy um, visual effects. So a lot of the ones I use are just like different colour lights and different flashing lights and that sort of thing that I think um, look great in like a hip-hop routine or a jazz routine. Um, and, and then, then drop them into iMovie, add the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. And then with my um, intros and outros, like with uh, as one routine is going off stage and one's running on, yep. um, I'll put some music, you know, 10 seconds of music that will suit the theme of my show um, at the end of that track so that by the time they've run off and the other one has set up, it's sort of just go, go, go. Yeah. Um, so I do that. And then I think just having some... Um, Backdrops like Scenic Studios in Melbourne are a great one, but I also hire some from um, studio owners, Lauren Wall and Bev Palmer. Yeah. They hire out their backdrops as well, which is great. They've got a lot of sequin type backdrops. Um, yeah, so there's a few for you. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, yeah, a lot of studio owners are still, um, you know, looking to get involved in more production type concerts and incorporate visual stuff. So I'm sure that they'll really appreciate. Yeah, for sure. And lighting. Lighting is huge for me. Like when I do my rehearsals, um, yes, my students are on stage and they're, you know, mapping out where they need to be placed. But for me, I'll spend, um, I, I do it at the Beeson and I've, you know, got from 8am to 11pm because you book out the whole day. And I'm literally there at 8 a.m. and I probably leave at 9.30, 10 at night. So, yeah, I'm huge on lighting because I just think lighting can make your routine as well. So, yeah, if you've got time to plot some cool special lighting effects, I can go for it. 
I wonder if I've ever told you that I don't plot my lighting in advance and just yeah, try to get that on on the day. <laughs> I'm going to do it for you this year. <laughs> I do have a really good lighting tech and I do trust you. So. Well, there you go. If you've got someone that's amazing, then like yeah. you said, if you don't, if it's not something you like, don't make yourself do it, you know, but this is just something that I like. And I think my lighting tech could probably do it himself, but I just almost <laughs> feel like I need to take control. <laughs> yeah. And if it's something you enjoy, then you should by all means do it. I love it. Sometimes I just look at my lighting and I forget to look at the dancers because I'm just like, <laughs> amazed by <laughs> how passionate you are about that is how passionate I am about like doing my info pack for the following year <laughs> I get so excited I'll get like a bag of teasers and a glass of wine and just go to town. No, we need to join forces I'm telling you between yeah I know we're like chalk and cheese but like the perfect, yeah. perfect match yeah perfect combination <laughs> um well yeah Eve is definitely ready for some Emma Wiggle time so no worries we'll wrap this up but thank you so much for having a chat hey, it was um, awesome thanks for having me and i think that your um like a like a dance boss is amazing resource especially for young studio owners who you know don't have the time or resources or to you know buy these really expensive programs i think like what you're doing is fabulous i think i'm going to even jump on and buy a few myself because yeah, you're just like the most organized person I know. And I mean, I think I'm organized and then I see you and it's a completely different ball game. So, um, yeah, I think good luck with it all. And I think it'll do really well and Thank you. Um, it'll be great success. And for all the studio owners to jump on and see what you're doing. Thanks again for listening to the very first episode of Like a Dance Boss podcast. If you'd like to share your story on this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via email chat at likeadanceboss.com.au or you can also message me on Facebook. Please do check out the Like A Dance Boss website. Some recent downloads for you are payment email templates. You receive 20 email templates for you or your studio manager to use covering everything from when you're sending an invoice to reminder notifications to direct debit setup. So those 20 email templates will hopefully make your life a lot easier and help improve your systems as far as email communication and payments go. We also have some COVID uh, policy templates, some Zoom instruction posters. We have teacher checklists for returning to the studio post-COVID and some sticker reward charts too. Okay, so take care and hope to chat to you soon.